0: like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Good morning, happy weekend, everybody. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I hope everybody is well. I just had a slight panic attack because I know exactly who my guest is, but I blanked on the name of your company, David. And I'm that's quickly, okay, no I'm problem. I'm like I've had you on the show so many times, and you're <laughs> on the radio so frequently, but I totally just blanked. That's okay, um,
2: Homestead Mortgage.
1: I that's right. I, I eventually got there, but I just slight panic attack there. So no worries. Um, my guest this morning is David Tortelot with Homestead Mortgages. Good morning.
2: Good morning to you. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. And I am recording uh, the the show today, the video recording of the Zoom. And David is so nicely dressed and professional. Um and Thank I you. am just out of the shower with sleep bugs on my t-shirts on my t-shirt, but, um, that's okay. That's, that's real life. That makes, that only makes me human, right? That's right. Yeah, and that's not a bad thing. So, um, all right, we are going to talk this morning about, um, I wanted to talk about thinking outside of the box a little bit regarding your home's equity. So that's what we call today's show thinking outside the box, um, regarding home equity more. And, and in particular, we're going to get into reverse mortgages. Um, And I was wondering if Kirk was going to join us this morning. He was having some trouble with the Zoom, I guess, or with the the computer, I guess. So can you hear us? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Awesome. Um, So that's my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed, having some technical difficulties, but it looks like we're all good.
3: And then, unfortunately, I did overhear that you said we're recording, and I realized I'm not... Exactly, dressed for that.
2: Hey, that's okay, you know. I that's can stop
1: this, record. I can stop record. We'll just use the audio. Da-
2: this pa- this oh. past year is, but yeah, you can do what you want. This past year is, everybody's learned that anything can happen.
3: Da- yeah, how do I, how do I know, David, that you're not just maybe that's is that just a background that you're wearing as a shirt and tie?
2: <laughs>
1: it is. Is that is. a
3: fake background? I yeah.
2: actually didn't shirt. shave either. I didn't pretty pretty shave green. either. You put backgrounds <laughs> <to> making <laughs> me look
3: like i shave shaved. Now. Really, that's so amazing. Very creative. Amazing.
1: <laughs> um. All right, so uh, David, do you want to just do a quick intro? I mean, you're on the ra- you have so many commercials on the radio. We've had you on the show so many times, but you want to just do a, a quick intro about you and your business?
2: Yeah, sure. So I've been in in the reverse mortgage space since 2003. Uh, that's when I originate, originated my first mortgage, and um, I transitioned out of the forward space, forward mortgages, traditional mortgages, into reverses exclusively around 2008. And so since then, I've just been writing reverse mortgages. I'm a certified reverse mortgage professional, and that's a registered and trademark designation in our space. And currently, there's only 160 of us nationwide that have that. Oh, wow. That, that designation's been available for over a decade. Wow. The, the exam's very tough. And so wow. what happens is people go through the process. They go to Boston, take the exam, and they fail it. So wow, that's a good thing because it shouldn't be – tens of thousands of CRMPs. It should be a, just a gold standard of people that are serious about what they're doing. So yeah. that's, that's pretty much it. I, this is all I do. I'm passionate about what I do. I love uh, the many applications. This product provides. And um, you know, when I first was introduced to this back in three uh, to me, it smelled bad, kind of like all the same perceptions people have. I don't like that thing. I didn't even know why I was saying that. And then I researched it and read about it for several months and said, boy, this is brilliant. Mm-hmm. And um, and then wrote my first couple of mortgages and that was it. That was the end of the story there. Yeah, this is what I wanted to do the rest of my life. So yeah. if everyone knew what I knew in my head, uh, they would understand that. But it's very difficult to learn everything I know in my head on, on the internet. So,
1: Well, that's why we have you. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but reverse mortgages have changed a bit in the last several decades too, right? In terms of consistency and oversight and, and the products available, right? So
2: yeah, it's good to know this reverse mortgage has been around since the 60s and 70s. Yeah. And back then in those decades, those two, everyone knows those loans as legacy reverse mortgages. And they were equity sharing strategy reverse mortgages where at the end of the loan, you did share the equity when the loan was paid back. And so those stigmas carried on into the 80s when FAJ and HUD liked the concept, but they wanted to come up with a regulated version of reverse mortgages. So this is a, the one we're talking about today is the federally insured regulated reverse mortgage and lots of safeguards were put in place back then too, in 1989, when they launched it into the financial markets, you know, marketplace. But like anything, a new product gets into the marketplace. and human beings, unscrupulous human beings will, you know, misuse it. So it's HUD's loan. They're the regulator. They're the rulemaker. All the lenders just take their rule book and write the loan. But there's, you know, it's a very vulnerable demographic yeah. that it's used by 62 and older. My yeah. average client's age is about 70. So it was an easy way for people to set these loans up. And then someone goes back, whether it's an estate planning attorney and, financial planner. I'm not picking on you, but this is where the cross-selling was going on. And so they were taking and extracting the equity after the loan was set up and putting it into annuities and risky investments. And then Hyde caught on to that, stepped in with new disclosures. So all of the perceptions that people have today are from those legacy loans in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. and the misuse of this federally insured loan. But there's so many safeguards now. It's it's the most transparent mortgage I've ever seen in my life. It's 300 pages when I print the application. Oh. And Jeez. two thirds of that, I'm not lying. Uh, two thirds of that is just left behind at time of application for the borrower. So they know what they're getting into. No one reads it. 240 it's, pages? It's about 298 pages. Oh, That's just one that's one. That's one application. One third of that oh is signed God. at application. Um, wow! And not every page is signed of that because there's a lot of disclosures that are page one of twelve. So it sounds daunting, but it's transparency. So yeah. it's, here's what you're getting into, and here's all the things that have been fixed over the past you know two so, decades. So
3: you so. still you still have to sign your signature like 65 times.
2: Thereabouts for an application, and then about. 50 to 60 uh, signatures are closing as well. Oh, wow. So So it's a transparent loan. There's nothing tricky about it. It's just an FHA mortgage. And most people know what those are. It just happens to be this entree is under FHA. It happens to be for older Americans. And it just doesn't have a mortgage payment obligation. Other than that, it's a mortgage.
1: It's transparent, other than nobody reads all the disclosure because that's a ridiculous amount of disclosure.
2: <laughs> exactly. I've read them, but yeah, that's, that's just because I'm in the business. And yeah. some people have read them. Yeah, I've had engineers that have read them and <laughs> sent me 60 right. or 70 questions on a Saturday night. Yeah, that sounds about right. and, uh, I said, yeah. We'll get on the phone and answer all these. I'll be here till Tuesday
1: oh and back goodness.
2: to you on these questions. So
1: that sounds about right. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to kind of, you know, before we get into the ins and outs of reverse mortgages and talk about some applications, maybe some unique applications, again, thinking outside of the box a little bit, I just wanted to talk about, I don't know, setting the stage for why these might be appropriate or, you know, kind of setting the stage for, um, uh, you know, people thinking about, for some people they might be necessary, but for some people they might just be used as a tool. They might not necessarily be necessary, but they might be attractive in terms of, you know, just good financial planning and longevity analysis and things like that. So um, I guess I just wanted to set the stage for that. and, And I don't know, just talk for a little bit about you know the the conversation about are people prepared to retire? I think I mean I've you know yeah. read lots of articles and, and over the years and things about you know just the staggering amount of Americans that won't aren't and won't be probably prepared to retire comfortably, right. um, because we're really behind as a nation anyway in terms of savings in that regard, um, and you know and couple that with the high cost of education. Um, and I think you know those are leading to you know people not having enough in their retirement. A lot of people not having enough in their retirement accounts, um, you know, which and then and which brings on the discussion of utilizing equity in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a few things on that. So I, Kirk, you were the one that actually um, first showed me the study that Fidelity did regarding. Um, And we have no affiliation with Fidelity. They just happen to have an article and a decent study on on how big your retirement assets should be at certain ages.
3: Oh, right, right. Remember that
1: one, Kirk? Yep, yep. And I actually, I pulled it up before the show. And now, of course, I have like so many tabs open on my laptop that it's (laughs) minute to find it.
3: And I just, Um, you know, before, yeah, and and yes, I mean, that's certainly, uh, you know, but I, whatever the numbers are, I I recall uh, when I was looking at them that to me they sounded a little high so that was you know that was just my yeah. my perspective but um but yeah certainly i mean if they yeah if they did some research then um i'm sure that you know there's some validity to it but you know in my experience they sounded a little on the high side
1: yeah one thing i didn't do and it would be interesting kirk is like you know kirk and i do a lot of um retirement planning and analysis for clients and so we can you know, obviously take the amount of someone's in uh, assets and income, of course, and, ass- and assets for retirement and do some projections regarding, you know, when their assets will be sufficient to retire. One thing I haven't actually done is gone in, like looked at some analyses that have been success, that look successful and compared the value of the assets to the income at these different ages and compared you know, like tabulated that and compared it with this study. That's one thing that would actually be really interesting. Yeah. Um, to kind of like take our data, which is real life data, um, and we've already analyzed it and and helped people figure out if this, you know, if this is enough. What you have, um, and compared it with fidelity. That would be, that would be a really good intern project. Actually, mm. happen to have an intern for a couple more weeks. So. Oh, nice. Maybe that's something that I could have her do. That would be very interesting. Um, but for example, the Fidelity study, I think it was done a couple of, oh no, I'm sorry. It was just one year ago, or at least it was updated a year ago, summer of 2020. Um, and they gave like at, at eight different age brackets, how big your retirement assets should be compared to your income. So for example, they they said by age 30, you should have one times your salary saved in retirement. And by 35, it should be two times, by 40, three times. And it kind of goes up from there so that if you're retiring around age 67, you have about 10 times your salary tucked away for retirement. Um, And I guess when I first looked at these, i thought oh that's you know i i agree with you kirk i did think that sounded a little bit high but the more i think about it i don't know how far off that really is i'm i'm kind of liking these targets and maybe it's maybe it's a little bit of a reach for people but it gives them something to reach for um so anyway that that article again it was um it was written by fidelity i guess the research was done by fidelity the article is just called, how much do I need to retire? Fidelity's rule of thumb, save 10 times your income by age 67. But again, the article that has like a nice graphic where it gives you those, those five-year age bands. And it's pretty cool.
3: Does it, um, does it talk about like, um, you know, cause like at age, you know, 40 say, you know, probably you're making more than you were in the past. Like, you know, so that, that time salary, are they talking about your current salary or like your previous, you know, average, or does it, does it talk about that? Or maybe it doesn't get into the details.
1: I didn't read the entire article this morning. I'm assuming it's talking about your salary at that particular age.
3: Current salary. Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's said when I looked at it, but that was kind of my impression. Yeah.
1: I think so. I mean, that would make sense because as people's incomes increase over their life, like, you know, their, their lifestyle and their standard of living increases too. So they would be, you know, what they're living off of generally is that higher salary. So that would make sense. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's just kind of interesting. And, you know, the other thing, is, you know, one thing that I think there's been debate in our industry recently, Kirk, I don't know if you've done much reading on this or, or David, but um, you know the four percent rule is like this old rule of thumb in our business about a safe withdrawal rate from your portfolio when you're retired. And there's just I don't know if, I, I feel like it's just very recently there's all this chatter about does you know is the four does the four percent rule still hold true? Um, and I mean I think it does I think it, well, certainly it depends on when you're retiring but I think it's a good target you know a, a good starting place. So basically what it means is. Um, the 4% rule is, is basically what, if you're retiring at a normal retirement age, which I would define as something in your mid to late 60s or mid 60s, if you're and you have a normal life expectancy of, of, at that time of something like 20 ish, 25 years, um, then if your starting rate of withdrawal from your portfolio is about 4% then that's generally considered a sustainable over the long-term rate of draw. So, I mean, it's, if you think about it, if you're living 20, if if your time horizon is 25 years in retirement and you start at drawing 4% out, four times 25 is a hundred percent. So that makes sense. But the 4% rule is it's really meant for that 4% to be your starting rate of draw and factoring in increases in that rate of draw over time as cost of living increases as maybe your fixed income doesn't keep up with it. And as your portfolio maybe stops increasing or eventually starts to decrease. So it does, it factors that in as it, it really, the 4% is just meant to be a starting place. Um, and we could have, we could, oh Kirk, we could have a whole show <laughs> probably on if the 4% rule still holds true. There's all these articles about it recently. Have you been reading about that, David?
2: I have not seen anything about it. Heard it in chatter in our our feeds. I've seen yeah. it mentioned, but yeah. I, but I, I know what you're yeah. alluding to. I mean, people they probably think that it's an older model and they're trying to replace it with a some sort of a new modern model. Yeah, that can relate to. I don't know, but it, you're right. I agree with you. It seems like it works to me. Something's better than nothing.
1: Yeah, it's new just model it,
2: is better than no model. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's certainly not meant to be like. You know the yep. end all be all, and it works. It's certainly not meant to work for everybody, but I think it is a good starting point. I think the concerns re- lately are are due to people living longer. You know, longevity just increasing and increasing, and time horizon and retirement increasing. I think it's also related to retirement ages decreasing, Are people wanting them to decrease, and I think it's also related very recently to inflation worries. Yeah, Um, Legitimately so. So, you know, but again, I'm going to write that down, Kirk, that we can
3: do a whole show. I mean, I mean, really all it is, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a rule of thumb and, you know, in, in my experience, it's, it's a good rule of thumb. Um, And I don't, I don't think necessarily anything has changed per se, but, you know, it really is a, it really depends on, you know, the individual situation as far as, you know, how much have you saved? You know, what do you need? you know, how old are you when you start? I mean, so there are, you know, you know, pension, social security, all that stuff. So you have to look at everything, but it is in general, I would say it is still a pretty good uh, rule of thumb. Yeah, I would agree.
1: agree. And, I'm, and I'm bringing that up because um, again, because it's a rule of thumb and if there are people listening or, um, or, or, well, if, if our listeners are, you know, if you're in a position where you are retired or you're thinking about retiring and you're not sure if you're gonna be in that range, you know, what if you're 65 and you just retired and your rate of draw is six percent or seven percent from your portfolio? You know, these are and and there are people in these situations, you know, maybe they lost their job or they, you know, didn't plan for retirement or whatever. There are people in situations where they're certainly drawing more than that from their portfolio. And so, you know, those are situations and when we have those situations with our clients, that's something that would bring up the discussion about. You know, well, maybe we need to plan on using some equity in the home at some point. Maybe not right now, but maybe at some no. point, um, because you're, you know, when when withdrawal rates from the portfolio are too high and are projected to continue to be too high and unsustainable, then there needs well, you can't really, you can't control life expectancy, right? To a point, no. so th- there needs to be some another plan, and and for many people fortunately that our homeowners there, you know, luckily they have, they can have that contingency plan, which is tapping into equity in their home. Hopefully, you know, many people retire with either a small mortgage or no mortgage. Um, so, so I always sort of use that as my backup plan, equity in a home, if financial assets don't look like they're going to sustain someone for their anticipated retirement. Um,
3: I think, yeah, I think, I think, um, it's probably, you know, <laughs> in our minds, it's probably become a plan B, uh, not, you know, not to say that plan B is, is, is bad. I think, you know, and David, you can probably talk to this. I mean, I think the, you know, the perception out there is that, you know, it's not a, it's not a plan B it's, you know, it's a plan C or a plan D. And, and I don't think that's, you know, we don't think that's the case. Um, you know, we think it's, we think it's a much better option than I think than a lot of people think that it might be. Um,
2: no, absolutely. I, you know, it's, when I first started the business, it was all needs-based clients, meaning they've gotten okay. to the end of their money, yeah, or had no money, and their income was sufficient to get them another 10, 15 years, and then that was catching up to them. And you know, probably back 15 years ago, I would say maybe five or 10 percent of the people I was dealing with had somewhere between 300 and 800,000, okay. and they were doing the reverse, uh, and the rest had no money and it was all in their house and they were doing the reverse. Today it's about 50-50. And that's oh, a it's a big switch. Oh,
1: that's a big jump. Well, there has been a lot of um there's been a lot of discussion, chatter, articles, blogs, whatever from financial professionals yeah. about the benefits of reverse mortgages and how you they can be used um you know in conjunction with more traditional assets that are spent in retirement. Um, so that's interesting. They're now really being you I, I wanted to talk about this today, but it's good to know yeah. that it's already like that the change has already started to happen where people are looking at them as more of a traditional asset to be spent in retirement versus just totally the contingency plan right there if you if you run out of money.
2: So oh, that's if a really if someone, huge if someone oh. says like, yeah. hey, I'm ready to retire. I'm 62 just as an example. I wanna stay in this house. I'm not gonna live here year round, but this is gonna be my primary home. That's my intent today. So if they had a house free and clear of mortgages and had 500,000 to a million dollars under management, you could make a case and say, well, that's great that you have 500 to a million, but if you wanna keep the house, that equity in that house or that bucket of money that you've deposited money into for so many years to have it be all, equity because your your deposits are your down payment when you bought it. And then every monthly payment and those transform into equity uh, over time. Mm -hmm. And so the only way you can take that asset that they live in, it is an asset Mm
1: -hmm. is
2: um, someone has to buy it from you and give you a check at closing and say, thank you. You don't have the house anymore. Here's all your money. Or a bank says I'll lend you a percentage of the equity you have built up in it. Uh, based on your income, that's a traditional mortgage, ability to repay income only. Mm -hmm. And that holds true with a home equity line of credit or reverse mortgage, which is not based on income. It's based on age and equity. So someone in that case, let's just say they have a $500,000 house, they have 800,000 under management, income's fine. Why not, if they want to keep the house, why not set up a $300,000 reverse equity line of credit on the house? It's unborrowed. Yeah. So 10 years from now, that that line of credit could blossom to 450. It's not subject to the markets going up or down or the house value going up and down. It's just always going up and it's unborrowed. So 10 years from now, we don't know what the 800 is going to be that they have. More than likely, it's going to be more. But why not have another 450 in addition to whatever the 800 did just in case? Yeah. Not borrowed. If you want to keep the house, it's not for people that don't want to live in the house long, set it up early in retirement. And that account could be there for long-term care for people that don't have long-term care policies and they don't want to pay for long-term care out of their portfolio and get taxed and deal with all the adjusted gross income issues. They can just say, well, we have this bucket of money here and we haven't touched it for 10 years and the credit line is now 475 grand. It's income tax-free withdrawal because it's borrowed money. Yeah. And uh, sounds like we're coming up on a break. We can finish. Yeah. After. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I do want to get into the details of that because the fact that that equity, that that line of credit available to growth over time, yeah. it's Hard for me to wrap my head around.
2: Yeah. I'll get it. I'll try and simplify that. I want to get to to listeners the listeners and, and let you know what what the philosophy is there. All
1: right. Cool. We're listening to McNamara on Money. We're just taking a quick break. We're with David homestead from Goods. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Alyssa Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Your investment strategy should largely be determined by the amount of time you have before needing the money. If you are aggressively invested, time is your friend when it comes to your portfolio recovering from this scary stock market. If you need your invested money soon, it should have been conservative to begin with. If you're not sure how your money is invested, I'd be happy to offer my opinion. 781-834-2010. We're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I forgot... What my cue was there you everyone's gonna have to forgive me today i've been up since three o'clock in the morning i could not sleep last night oh I've had no three cups of coffee but i'm doing my best
2: <laughs> You're doing great.
1: oh my goodness but i feel like some of my sentences aren't 100 clear so you guys are gonna have to
2: correct. You get a me. pass I'm on right? that because it's totally mother's go. day weekend what? You get a pass on any mistakes
3: because it's Mother's Day weekend, period.
1: Okay, perfect. Well, I should have a pass on the whole <laughs> show. <her>? Yes.
3: I... <laughs> it's like, yeah, like those coupon books that your kids give you yeah. for for stuff. Yeah, that's you, you get that for the radio show too, yeah.
1: <laughs> all right, thank you. I'll take that. Uh, all right, I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm joined this morning by my husband, and business partner, Kirk Reed, and also David Tortolot with Homestead Mortgages. We are gonna talk today about um, thinking outside the box. We're talking about using equity in your home. Is that
3: uh, is the is the box your house? Is that the is that the yes. uh, illusion there? Okay.
1: Coincidentally, many houses are shaped like a box. All right. Just although we were side note, we were reading the Guinness Book of World Records the other night, me and my the girls, and there was something in there about um the tallest house in the world shaped like a toilet. Hmm. And I was like, "Wait! First of all, there's more than one house in the world <laughs> shaped like that."
2: It's grown, huh? Yes.
1: Yeah, so, so, but yes, the box is your house, and we're talking Wait,
3: about using. Well, the tech, well, no, then then should it be thinking inside the box? Because we're we're taking stuff, or no, we're we're taking stuff from inside the box and taking it out of the box. So, I, you know, it's yeah, you it could go we're many thinking ways
1: outside of the box so that you can stay inside of the box.
3: Ah. <laughs> okay. There you go. Okay. Right.
1: Quick good.
2: thinker. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, okay. So before the break, um, David, you started talking about, well, let's get into the weeds a little bit. I don't want to get too bogged down about yeah. the ins and outs of, of the, of the structure of the mortgage, but there yeah. are several things I want to touch on. And one of them is the fact that when you take out a reverse mortgage, you have, for, you have an ability to you know use the equity in the home um, and there's different ways you can use it, right? You can take a lump sum, you can take a yeah. monthly income, you could just get like a checkbook, use it ad hoc, whatever. Um, but your point, and I want you to explain this a little bit, is that when you first take out that reverse mortgage, you have available to you X hundreds of thousands of dollars of income usually, right? I'm sorry, of equity that you can use, that you yeah. have access to. That available equity grows over time and it's not tied to any real estate appreciation directly, right? It's just the way that it is. So can and you it, get into exactly. that a little bit?
2: Yeah. So when you take out a reverse mortgage, um, the older you are, the more you can borrow. When you take it out, the minimum age is 62. Yeah. There's no maximum age. So there is a, you know, so if you're 62 and take a reverse mortgage out today in a $500,000 house, it's around 50% that you can borrow because of life expectancy. Okay. If you're 90, you get to that maximum of about 75% because you don't live as long after you take the reverse mortgage out. Right. So do you see where I just went from 50 to 75%? Yeah. So if you take a reverse mortgage out at 62, right? When you get to 70, it's almost as if you took it out at 70, you got more money. That's why the line of credit's growing because of each year that goes by after you had the reverse, you're older. And it's almost as if you took it out at that age and you get a little bit more money. Did that simplify it? And yeah. make it so okay.
1: Does it grow like by a percent per year?
2: Because for- It does. It grows yeah. by an actual number, yeah. uh, which we identify as an interest rate, but HUD calls it a growth rate because interest rates are all taxable so it's a number so it's just and it's the same rate that's used for when you draw the money out of the reverse mortgage that accrues the interest so if you take a three hundred thousand dollar reverse mortgage out on a house based on your age and you take it all out today all three hundred thousand dollars because you paid off a couple of mortgages and whatever the case may be you had purposes for the money yeah. You have no more money left to borrow. That $300,000 is now deferring interest at, call it 2.5%. That's about the the rate right now on these mortgages. So every year that goes by, that mortgage balance will go up because they don't require you to make mortgage payments. However, if you don't like that, you can take the 2.5% annually and pay it back and keep the the mortgage at neutral, mm-hmm. like a home equity line interest only. Yeah. Or okay. you can have you can make it behave like a regular mortgage, like we both have, and say, "Hey, I'd like to have this thing paid off in ten years. How do I ha- how do I do that?" You can make up your own payments, so there's no payment obligation with a reverse mortgage, but you can make payments, which is another strategy we should talk about okay. for retirees that have a payment. Do
1: people do that? Do people yeah. Like to pay?
2: yeah. I had some people do it last year because of the pandemic. They were both still working, and uh, one was at. Uh, risk of losing their job because they work for the ferry and uh, numbers went way down. He was looking to retire in five years, but he might be forced to retire early and they had roughly a $2,500 a month mortgage payment. And so the idea was she was looking into traditional refinancing and she, she could have saved $400 a month. So she could have gone from 2,500 to 2,100. She's a referral partner of mine. And she called me and said, what about comparing saving the $400 to doing a reverse mortgage? David, how would that benefit us? Yeah. And I said, well, we'd take your mortgage you have now, put it into a reverse mortgage and switch it into that. You can continue making a $2,100 a month payment as if you just refinanced and save $400 a month and have the reverse mortgage pay down curve behave just like the mortgage you currently have in the same same how
1: How did the interest rates compare? you just mentioned like two and a half. So it must oh, be Two
2: and a half percent pretty, pretty right close. now. They're not 30 year fixed rates though. They're, these are right, adjustable, right, rates. Right. we'll get into that, but they're right mm-hmm. around the same. But what she said is now, if my husband loses his job next month, we're gonna lose half our income. Yeah. And so it, what the strategy was this, if he doesn't lose his job, we'll continue making payments, but we know we have a, we know we have a reverse mortgage. If he loses his job, I don't have to call the bank and ask for permission for forbearance. I can just stop making payments and not have to worry about foreclosure because yeah. he lost his job. If he gets another job, we can start making payments again. It's a safety strategy for people that are looking to retire that they can make payments and pay the loan down, just like they have a regular mortgage. But if something comes up, and I think we can all agree, I, the demographic I work with, is more things are likely to happen in retirement like diagnoses, losses of spouse, losses of an income, losses of a part-time income. So if you're in retirement and have a mortgage payment and want to stay in the house long-term, it's worth looking into switching those mortgages you have now into a reverse and make continue making the payments if income's fine or don't make payments at all. This is entirely up yeah. to you. That's the most flexible loan you can ever imagine where you can make payments when you want, stop making payments so, when you want, make up your own due date, so, make a so, balloon payment in three years, never make payments, make payments two times a month, once a year. It's, it's yeah. there's no obligation to make one. So yeah. you're in full control of paying down the loan or not paying it off.
3: Right. So, so David, I just had a, you know, like a clarifying question. So for somebody that is still working like that, But they decide to do a reverse mortgage um, and they're making those payments toward it. But but they haven't they haven't borrowed anything yet. Right. They haven't borrowed anything.
2: Well, they did borrow something because don't forget when they someone that this, this scenario I'm talking about, they have a regular traditional mortgage and they're taking out a reverse mortgage. And that reverse mortgage is going to extinguish their existing mortgage, which eliminates the payment on that mortgage. But they have a new reverse mortgage. It's just they can continue making the same payment as if they didn't refinance into a reverse that they were making. But if something comes up, they can stop making payments at any time without being at risk of foreclosure.
3: Okay. And okay. So, okay. I missed that piece of it. Okay. Okay. And so so by doing that, then they're, by making those payments, then they're just. they're cutting down on the interest, um, or the you know the balance, and then the, plus you know the interest that they're that they're interest accruing. Interest and
2: principal, if they want, yeah. Right, so if okay. they will make you know if they have a three hundred thousand dollar traditional mortgage and they refinance that into a three hundred thousand dollar reverse mortgage, and they were paying twenty one hundred dollars at the same interest rate per month, well, that reverse mortgage balance would go down every month too at that same rate. With the same pay down curve would occur if they have the same rate and the same amount. Yeah, but. So they can keep, keep on chugging along as if they had the same payment, but it's just in the case something comes up at any time, they can just say, well, we have a reverse. So you lost your job. We don't have to make payments until things get better. Yeah. Then interest defers Yeah. you don't make payments, but it's a strategy where people don't have to get stressed out because we all know that traditional mortgages are always due on the first of every month without exception, it doesn't matter if you got a diagnosis. It doesn't matter if you lost a job. So this just gives them that flexibility of making that decision.
1: Yeah, I like that strategy where there was the potential, you know, to be laid off and the stress associated with that. Um, coupled with interest rates are so low. So it is a good it, you know, good time to think about refinancing. So I would assume, so you just mentioned the interest rates right now. I know that they're variable in a reverse mortgage product, but the interest rates right now are like 2.5%.
2: You're under so, that, but I'm rounding a, it up. You're about so, 2.3. Okay, so right for now. this
1: particular client who was thinking about a traditional refinance, but ended up going this route to have the protections in place, you know, and yeah. an ability to stop um, the payments if things got tight financially. So I'm assuming the interest rate was pretty comparable to what she was looking at in terms of a refinance, at oh, least yeah. now, right? Yeah. Where, of course, with a traditional refinance, unless you do an arm, the uh, ad- adjustable rate mortgage, the mortgage rate is fixed. Whereas with yeah. the reverse, you know, one downside is that interest rates are variable. Yeah. Um, but I'm assuming the starting interest rates are quite comparable, right? Yeah. And is that generally always the case.
2: Yeah, uh, not no, not generally. Oh. Just over the past year or two, that they've actually been very comparable to like okay. a thirty-year fixed-rate mortgage. Okay, they've always been, you know, within a half to three quarters beyond that, uh, before that, I should say. But now, because indexes are almost the index we use is almost at zero. It's like 0. 0.125 on the annual constant maturity uh, treasury index. That's the index okay. that's used. And it's been stable for the past 10 or 15 years uh, and done nothing but go down. So it's and when people look into reverse mortgages, you guys know this. The rate is there in their head. However, the strategy is usually why are we doing this? We're trying to fix a, a financial problem and we're not making mortgage payments. We've talked to the kids. We don't know about all the variables in the future. But right now, the oxygen mask needs to go on our face. And take care of us if there's equity left fine I hope you get it but if there's nothing left we can't preserve and live broke so that we can have every dollar go on to the family and I'm not saying there's no equity in this case I'm just saying mm-hmm. the mindset is not really about rate but just in this particular time we're in rates are right where rates are actually lower than 30 are fixed right now if someone does a reverse mortgage it's about 2.3 percent now that's adjustable yeah, don't get me wrong 30 year fixed i don't know if you can get yourself down and maybe three now or pay yeah. a point and get into the high two so they're less than they were but two years ago we were always higher because our indexes were one and a half one and three quarters two percent then you had the margin so we were above that so yeah and, and, and in my world when rates are low you can borrow the most money when rates go up the amount you can borrow goes down, even with the same age, same home value. That's the most sensitive thing that determines what someone can borrow is wow. when rates fluctuate. When you take your reverse mortgage out, as an example, let's say you meet me today and you're five $500,000 house, no mortgages on it. And I tell you, you can borrow 300000 at 2.3%. Next year, you call me and say, I didn't call you back last year, David, but now I'm ready to do it. And rates went up 1%. So that $300,000 you could have borrowed a year prior might be 275
1: right? dollars
2: Right. And that's just because they're, it's more risk. You have a higher rate of deferral in, right. accruing on the balance you can borrow. So when rates go up, you can borrow less. When rates go down, you can borrow more on your same age. So right. the most sensitive thing is not the age of the home's value. It's that rate. And so right now is the historically the best time, if someone's thinking about a reverse mortgage, to look into it because you can access most of your equity
3: and and, and also and also i mean uh home values are at such highs right now so home values are high interest rates are low so this is a you know a good time to be doing it if you're thinking about it
2: Uh, yeah if you're thinking about it, at least learn about it that's that's one thing the pandemic pandemic has really spawned on me is people would tell me they call you know a year ago david i would never even thought of looking into this but when uncertainty creeps in to someone's household and their backs against the wall, they'll learn about just about anything. Doesn't mean they'll do it, but they'll at least say, this is an option I need to know about. I don't care about what I thought in the past. It's time to learn about it. So that a lot of people called and at least learned about it. And almost all of them said, aha, numerous times in the conversation. Really? I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, It's just every time I get on the phone with someone to meet with a family five or six times, they're like, Oh, I thought the bank owned the house. Oh, we're not on the hook for it. When mom and dad pass away, there's no burden bill or liability. I wasn't aware of that. And so the conversation shifts quickly and here we are 32 years later and people still don't really understand how it works.
3: Da- David, do you, I'm just kind of curious. Do you have any, any idea like what the correlation is, you know, like, People that go forward with a reverse mortgage, like those that those that have kids and those that don't, like does that is that to me that might be a factor in somebody's decision about doing this? Um, do you it's have any more, any insight on yeah. that? Or, yeah, it's
2: more in the minds of if someone doesn't have kids, it's usually one of the first things they say. Hey, I'm looking into a reverse, and by the way, I don't have any kids, so um, I'm leaving it to anybody. Yeah, but yeah. when I meet with family and all the kids are there, the kids usually say to their parents, "Listen, this is your house." if this is going to make your life better do it don't worry about us and that's that's sort of a simple way of putting it but you know they'll say things like dad you put me through college or or dad you took a home equity line of credit out because I lost my job in 08 and you wanted to help me keep your roof over your grandchildren's head just there's so many reasons why the kids really don't they're not so hyper-focused on making sure they get dollars from their parents' house when it sells when they die. They want their parents to be happy. Yeah. They want them to live with peace of mind the rest of their life. They don't want them to live strapped so they get all the money and they can put kitchens and bathrooms in their house.
3: Yeah. I feel yeah, I feel like, you know, a lot of, a lot of parents, they feel, you know, they want to, you know, they want to leave that legacy or whatever, you know, leave some, you know, an asset or some, some, some money to their kids and, And, you know, I I just I feel like there's a lot of times they don't ever have that conversation with the kids about, you know, do you really do you want the house? Do you care about, you know, the physical house? Uh, You know, do you want or need some money (laughs) down the road? Because most of the time they're going to say no, I would think. But I mean, that's not always the case. But um...
2: and if you think about it, my average age of my client, they're 70. If they have kids, they usually have their own house. Mm -hmm. Not 100 percent of the time. Uh, sometimes the kids, one of the kids still live in there for whatever reason, but 99% of the time the kids live out of state and they're just really gonna sell the house when, it's, when it becomes theirs, when the both parents pass away. And yeah. so if they satisfy the lien by selling the house and there's equity left, that goes to them anyways. Yeah. And that just depends on how long the parents live. The parents don't live long after they take the reverse off. There's a lot of equity left. The parents live 25 years or so after they take the reverse out. And how much depends on how much they use, there might not be that much left. But in this real estate market, I mean, you can make a case for someone who's uh, not doing a reverse because of the closing costs. You could say, well, your house out appreciated the cost of taking the reverse out in one year.
1: Oh, totally.
2: So, and it didn't come out of your pocket, it came out of the height of the equity. And if you stay in there long term, you never realize that loss. So, so- it's. go ahead, go ahead Alyssa. I
1: was just thinking about the real estate market, you know, being so high right now and, you know, prices of homes appreciating so quickly in the last year or so, Um, how you guys are just, you guys obviously have an appraisal done when someone takes out a reverse. So that, so number one, it's a good time to think about taking out a reverse. It's a good time to take out a reverse mortgage if you're thinking about it because interest rates are so low, but also, because values are so high. Are you guys like, how are the appraisals reflecting the increase in real estate when? Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: We're very busy. I've never been busier. It's, it's insane how busy I am. I'm overwhelmed actually. Um, but it's, that's a good thing. I'd rather be overwhelmed, but it's yes. Appraisals are high. Yeah. And, um, you know, People have a lot more equity than they bought. I just did a reverse for someone who bought their house a year and a half ago for three fifty-two or something like that in Weymouth, yeah. just appraised for four sixty-five. Now it appraised for four sixty-five. Okay. We all know that when you sell a house, usually you'll get more, especially in this market. So that's yeah, you know. And he wasn't real. He didn't really like that it was four sixty-five, and I said, "How much did you pay for it a year and a half ago?" Three fifty two. I say you're not happy with that game? Oh, he thought it was worth he thought it was worth I'm more. I'm like, are you kidding me? I said, oh, I'd, I'd like to, I'd to find a stock that gave me that return in yeah. a year or something like Probably that. Probably because so. his neighbor's house sold for 500 or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, exactly. Said. That's exactly yeah. what he said. Well, they just, I said, well, when well, you're not selling it, you're refinancing. And it. so it's based on hard, fast data, yeah. what has sold around you, what's comparable.
1: Right. And because right now there's the sale, sale prices are, you know, really emotion. There's, they're emotional more than anything. Right. Yeah,
2: people are fighting for the house. They're yeah. Not, yeah. They're, they're focused on fighting for the house, not actually what it's worth. Yeah. And so they'll overbid and yeah.
1: there's
2: 90 people in one open house instead of yeah. the old days, three people show up. There's 90 cars on the street. So yeah. it's a it's a bidding war. And, you know, it's, it's great for everybody right now. I don't know what a year, year and a half, two years, three years is going to bring. I'm sure it'll correct to some degree. It always does. So, again, if people yeah. are, are thinking about a reverse mortgage, to Kirk's point, um, you'll get the most... Equity or access to the most equity now, and that's not to say everybody should get a reverse mortgage. I'm just saying if you've been thinking about it, now's the time to learn about it and then make the decision based on meeting with a certified professional.
3: Yeah, because that so that that basically that equity that that the reverse mortgage company is giving you, it's you know it's not going to change. I mean I understand you know it's going to increase with that you know rate of interest, but like if the market corrects. You're, you're locked into that number, that, that bigger number. That, that that's there. a key
2: point right there, Kirk, right. because here's the thing. Once you do a reverse mortgage, when values are high and rates are low, you've got your most money. So if someone's 65 and has a $500,000 house and they take the 300,000 out today, that's earmarked. And if the values, like we just talked about, go down and correct, one year after he takes out the reverse, he's okay. That line yeah. of credit didn't go down because his value went down. Right. he still has full access to that full amount and it's still growing Right. versus him coming back to me a year later and the, the appraisal is a hundred grand less and he's getting 225 instead of 300 now. Um, yeah. so, it, you know, it's just, yeah. it's a very sensitive thing right now that people have high values and low rates.
3: You know, it's just, it's versus. just like, just like the stock market, right? You know, there's, you know, there, yeah. there are ups and downs and, you know, you try to time it. Well, you can try to time it. We don't, we certainly don't tell people to try to time it, but, um, and it's so there's there you know there's a similarity there in in your business but it's like so yeah so back to your point just to reiterate yeah if, if you're thinking about it now's presumably a good time to, to, to do it if you're thinking about it. And if it makes sense, uh, yeah, you, know, if you want to stay in the right, house
2: long-term, right. if you want to stay in your house long-term and you're looking for ways to supplement income, lost your spouse, just looking for ways to shore things up.
3: Yeah. But don't, yeah, don't, don't accelerate things just because, you know, just because of the yeah. way, the way the, way the market seems right now. Yeah, exactly. That's I just, why I
2: wanted to present it that way. Right. If you've been thinking about it, it's, it's, and it's just learning about it if you're thinking about it and you call someone and you learn and get all your questions answered and you still say no, then that's great. That's fine. Because you've at least exercised that and you didn't push it aside and then need to do it in a year for some reason.
1: Right. So, Agreed.
3: Yeah.
2: And it's a good tool. And, you know, the other thing that people can use a 40 year point is if you do have five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand $800,000 in your portfolio and you have this set up early in retirement because you want to keep your house, if that goes down like it did last March mm-hmm. and you're seventy five years old, well you don't have as much time to make that back, although they did make it back as you guys can attest to from last March till now. Yeah. But that's not you know, that's not common what's what's sort of going on with that. But what happens is if let's say they had five hundred thousand, they lost thirty percent last March and they had the line of credit set up, well they can they can sort of relax a little bit and say, "All right, well, I've got this other bucket of money. It's called reverse equity money. Yeah. And I don't have to go to Kirk and Alisher and say, I need 25 grand while it's going south and sell it at a loss and get taxed on it potentially. You can say, "Let's it's okay things will recover, they always do. That's why we have this reverse equity line in place. Let's take let's supplement the income with that for now because that comes to you income tax free because it's borrowed." And you don't have a payment the first of the next month by using it. And you're not you're not affecting your adjusted gross income by taking it out of the house. And when your, your portfolio recovers, we can then talk about, do we continue taking it from the reverse equity line of credit or do we stop, let that grow again, and then go back to the portfolio distributions that you guys have set up. So again, it's just this, it's this bucket of money called your house that can be used so many different ways. You just have to get creative about it.
1: Yeah, and there's been a lot of research in that regard, you know, regarding using this as a tool for when markets go down and how it can help sustain your retirement portfolio. Yeah. Um, And I I bet you, I mean, I think that's part of the reason that these have become so common for, um, what what was the term you used earlier in terms of-
2: Uh, for asset. What is it? A buffer, buffer asset?
1: Assets. No, but you said earlier, you said now 50% of the clients.
2: Oh yeah, it, they're not needs-based. Not so
1: needs-based, okay. Yeah, that, yeah, so yeah they're,
2: yeah. Plan, they're yeah. more planners now. This, I'll, let me hold this book up. This book, and you guys know who this person is, Dr. Wade Fowler. Yeah, yeah. All
1: right.
2: So it was him in 2015 and several other economists Yeah. started looking at what we're talking about now, the growth in this line of credit, and they started putting it in simulations and mm-hmm. saying, you know, if someone's out of money at 86, now with listener and current, this could actually extend years by having it in the background, just because it's there for many different reasons. Um, and so as retirement researchers, they just said, why aren't more seniors doing this? It's there, it's like, and one guy said, it was funny. It was kind of a funny analogy. He said, it's like, you know, you are at Vanderbilt on a Friday night at five o'clock And you got an 18-wheeler on the common area, and you go out on this megaphone, you say, free bear for everyone, and no one comes down. (laughs) (laughs) That that was the analogy he used. I know it's saying it's free money out of your house, but it's something that's there. And I have all this information in my head, and I'm not saying it's for everybody, but if everyone knew what I knew, I can attest to this. I'd say millions and millions of seniors nationwide would be doing it if they knew what I knew
1: yeah and i want to get into that a little bit after the break in terms of using it um using it instead of the portfolio particularly in uh volatile markets maybe instead of or to supplement a cash position interest rates are so low on cash it's a good time to talk about that i want to um get into that a little bit i think for the I think for the most part, people's emotions and their stigmatisms toward this product are getting in the way a little bit. But um, let's talk Thank about you. that to the right. You're listening to McNamara on Money. Our guest uh, this morning is David Portalot, Homestead Mortgages. We are thinking outside of the box. Regarding potential use of your home's equity today, uh, particularly using mortgage as a planning tool. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed, joined by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. We are just taking a quick break and we'll actually be back in just a minute.